Welcome to Christian Natural Health with naturopathic Dr. Lauren DeVille. Christian Natural Health is the podcast on how to get and stay healthy God's way. You'll hear topics on nutrition, exercise, sleep, avoiding toxicity, meditating on scripture, what supplements to take, stress management, defeating anxiety and worry, how to reconcile Eastern medicine approaches with Christianity and a whole lot more. Now, here's your host, Dr. Lauren. Welcome back to another episode of Christian Natural Health. Today, I am so excited to introduce our guest, Dr. Hal Bradley. Dr. Bradley is a veteran and pastor with a PhD in pastoral counseling and a passion for helping the homeless and those in distress. Before becoming a pastor, he was a drug lord and at one time, the largest cocaine trafficker in the Pacific Northwest. He served four years at the Springfield Medical Center for Federal Prisoners and one year in Leavenworth Federal Prison. He then worked as a contractor for the Department of Justice where he helped to capture the drug kingpin. He now lives a quiet life focused on working with the homeless, the afflicted, and people with broken souls with the hospice ministry over the past 17 years. He is currently recovering from an attack allegedly ordered by a drug cartel, but he faces life with joy in his heart without hate or anger and feels blessed that God has chosen a purpose for him and that he survived such horrible things. He carries love wherever he goes, and this extends to his work with the homeless and others whom many people choose to ignore. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Bradley. Uh, it's my pleasure, Doctor, and thank you so much for having me on your uh, site today. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your background, your story with faith. How did your relationship with faith come to be, considering where you started? Okay, thank you for that. It's a good question. I think we need to go back to 1969. I was living just outside of Seattle, Washington. I was a 15-year-old kid uh, who got caught smoking a cigarette in the bathroom with his friends. And back in 1969, they removed you from school for a semester for doing uh, something like that. So rather than have me wander the streets and get in trouble, my mother had a friend that owned a part of the Anaconda Mining Corporation in Durango, Mexico, so they decided to send me down there for a year. Mm-hmm. Upon arrival to the village that I ended up living in, a village of probably no more than 200 people, uh, my transportation was a black and white burrow, and I used to ride the trails in the mountains. Oh, wow. And during those during those excursions, I would be riding along the poppy fields where they were harvesting the opium to make heroin. I was riding up in the Chihuahua Indian camps where they were harvesting marijuana that they would wrap in burlap, put on the backs of burrows, and take them down the trails to the cartel family that controlled that region. Now, I lived there about 14 months, so from 15 years of age to 16 years of age, I was uh, exposed to uh, cartel life so early on that it had imprinted. Uh, my brother had just been wounded in Vietnam, so I made the decision to come back home, get my GED, enter the United States Army so I could serve my country as my older brother had. Mm-hmm. Upon release from the military, I took my GI Bill, relocated to Sacramento, California, and entered into uh, college. During the winter break, I made the decision to go down to Durango and visit my friends from the village, and that was probably the catastrophic era of my life. When I got there, they had talked to me about coming back with a larger vehicle where they could put in compartments and hide kilos of marijuana in the car and to have me drive it stateside and market it off. So I came back down there with a car, did my first run into the United States, and uh, it was incredibly amazing to me. I was young and impressionable and very, very excited about turning. Uh, Instead of living on almost $400 a month on the GI Bill, I made $80,000 the first uh, deal that I did with them. 
So I took took, took 20,000 of it back down to the village and gave it to the village. And from that moment on, we just started a network of starting to move marijuana stateside. Now, I did this for probably from 1975 to 1979. Mm -hmm. By that time, I had already started working with other smugglers that were in other regions of Mexico. And uh, we became under the eyes of the various cartels that controlled those regions. So I was uh, called down to uh, Sinaloa, Mexico. Uh, I believe it was 1979, and I was introduced to a man down there. I don't want to go too far into this at this point, but he was uh, Sinaloa cartel connected, and he decided to introduce us into the cocaine trafficking trade. As a result, I took a couple loads north, but they decided to turn me into a man that could set up distribution stateside and into Canada, and someone that could develop safe houses for uh, the loads that were to be heading north. Mm-hmm. So in the course of just a few years, I grew from a, you know, a small-time marijuana smuggler to a mega cocaine dealer. I picked up an airplane, started flying across the Sonora Desert, bringing loads stateside by air, taking it up north. And uh, development so rapidly that I was probably turning over a third of a ton of cocaine a month within the first year of developing the trade industry in this part of the country. So we started expansion sites and uh, kept growing and growing, and I finally got nailed. And uh, I was never arrested. It wasn't like that. What it was was they said I owed a former debt. I went down there, paid off the debt, was told that I was granted my freedom. And as a result, they come back home, and I had 350 kilos of cocaine sitting in my driveway with no exit at all. So uh, what I did is I turned the guys around with the load, feigning that we were heated up in this area. I had a little over $3 million in cash on me at the time, so I put that in the vehicle, shipped it out, and uh, the very next day walked into the U.S. Attorney's office and took the thing down. They were not going to give me my life, so I just picked up a bigger baseball bat. And at this point, I would like to reiterate, I wasn't some snitch running around telling on all the boys and girls that I knew out there. I I was laser-fixed on a specific target, which happened to be a very powerful cartel. Mm -hmm. So in the course of my decision to walk in, knowing I would be going to prison to end this part of my life, uh, I spent the next 19 months operational in various countries outside of the United States going after uh, supply lines, trade routes, the various stages that build these type of industries to take them down and to eradicate them from my life permanently. I didn't figure I would live through it. I even was captured and kidnapped, tortured down there. Um, I was taken down by uh, Mexican federal agents that were on the payroll of the cartel. Uh And uh, I was rescued without going into too much detail about it. But uh, by the time I got back stateside, it was uh, time for me to face the music. I was sentenced to eight years. Ended up doing about five of them. Uh, some of the agency people went before a judge, got me out two years early, so I didn't have to do uh, seven of the eight years I would have had to do. Mm-hmm. And re- they recruited me as a contractor at this point for the Department of Justice. Mm-hmm. And I started operating in foreign countries uh, between here and South America. Uh, I spent 17 years of my life doing that. And three years ago, I retired from uh, working for the Department of Justice. Mm-hmm. And of course, in the course of all of this time, I was imprisoned, and in my years in the prison, I started going to seminary, getting my first degrees, and graduating non-denominational Christian ministry. 
basically, it was Assemblies of God was the organization that trained me. Then I became a certified hospice counselor while I was in prison, and my job was to take prisoners through the dying process, of which I took 24 men through that process. And sitting with them in the uh, rooms where they, they would die, they would separate the a terminal prisoner so other prisoners didn't watch them going through the dying process. So we were trained by the National Hospice Organization to assist them through that process. It was fascinating. Right. And during that time, most of my studies for seminary were done in those rooms with those people as they were passing away. And very humbling experience, but... Uh, it definitely grounded me to the ministry. I'm in my 24th year now as a certified hospice chaplain. Uh-huh. I work a lot of emergency services. I'm also an outreach services senior pastor uh, with the church in Seattle that I've been with 21 years now. So I work the homeless camps. I work the streets. I work uh, having people dropped off here at my house sometimes in the middle of the, of the night, rape victims, uh, drug overdose cases. I've uh, dealt extensively with so much of that. And now with the COVID concerns that we have, I've had people brought here that were dripping in sweat and totally sick, uh, immobilized. And mm-hmm. I'm not a medical doctor. My doctor is in pastoral counseling, so I can only advise and assist them to an emergency site, right. uh, which I've made arrangements for numerous people to be taken to the hospitals. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I've worked the homeless camps, then more than one occasion, I've, uh, I carry Narcan kits and I pull people out of unconscious states of overdose from drug use, mm-hmm. uh, dealt cleaned up people that have abscesses uh, from injecting drugs or living a dirty lifestyle, that kind of thing. But always there, never to judge, only to show love and compassion mm-hmm. uh, based on the journey that I have been through in the 20, almost 25 years now since my original ordination. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's just incredible you know, how much God has taken your story and just redeemed it so that you can minister to others who are in a similar situation. That's great. Yes. I've never been a recreational drug user myself in the years that I was operational with the cartels. Uh, that would be a, an instant death sentence because we were carrying you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars in cash or uh, narcotics, and the responsibility was very, very real. Mm-hmm. And I have... I have witnessed too many times the hostility and the violence of these cartels. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one time I went up to meet with El Chapo down in Sinaloa and went through a, a village site where I was looking at human heads in the doors. And I've seen bodies that were burned and mangled hanging off overpasses to send these type of messages. When the cartel wants to do a message to somebody that they feel is disloyal to them, it's always bloody, brutal, hostile, and extremely violent. And uh, you made earlier comment about wanting to discuss uh, my near-death experience that happened here June 7th of this year, right. where the cartel, yeah, you want me to talk about that? Please do, yeah. What happened? Yeah, I was uh, approached here at my residence, and uh, it was about midnight. Uh, Ten years earlier, I never would have walked out to the door in no way in heck because of the world that I come from. But I had relaxed in my state of the ministry where I've been for the last 19 years here. So as a result, the guy said that he hit a car in the alley to drive the car. It was mine and said he's a tow truck driver. And as I went down the stairs, I got to the car. And when I got there, that's when he uh, did the strike. And he was a very well-trained professional when I was in the military, I went through a program called Tigerland 1971-72 and the knife fighting skills and things like this. He didn't 
pull my head back to slash my throat. He pushed my head forward to put the knife in the base of my brain. And he hit me three times. And as I was laying there bleeding out and getting ready to lose conscious, and this is very important for a Christian audience, in that moment, I accepted my death. I knew that I was, I was gone. And I was bleeding so profusely from the uh, wounds to my head that uh, I just went into a very relaxed state. I accepted the death. I thank God for the life. And I remember as I was fading out that I had such a wonderful peacefulness and calmness because I knew where I was going. There's never been a question from the moment I received my walk uh, serving Jesus Christ and God the Father that at any time has there been a question, even when I've been up against numerous crisis events in my own life. Mm -hmm. But miraculously, like Lazarus, uh, I did die. God made my body jolt and brought me back. I was able to immediately discern that I was in a hostile environment, crawled up my stairs, got behind the security gate, and was able to punch the 911 in. And, uh, yeah, when the ambulance and the police arrived, which is almost instant, I remember hearing the officer saying, this isn't a beatdown, this is a murder attempt. This man was left dead. And uh, the uh, ambulance people said, we've got to transfuse him immediately because of the loss of blood. And then I blacked out again. And I woke up in the hospital with a forensic nurse who was photographing the uh, damage and trying to ask me questions. But at that point, I lost consciousness again until the the next day. I was out for over a day. Uh, When it came through to it, I was kind of uh, angry uh, because where I had gone in my moment of death was so peaceful and wonderful and beautiful. You didn't want to come back. (laughs) I did not want to come back, sister. I did not. And uh, to this day, I still have a little bit of conflict with it. But in the creation of Crisis Victory, the book that uh, I've put together here to help people survive and go through any crisis event, whether it's a, a relative passing in your family or you've lost a child in contact with the child or your community becomes under a violent or hostile situation, whatever it is, financial collapse, loss of your home, any crisis event. This book addresses step-by-step how to get through and navigate through it successfully and come out on the other end totally and completely victoriously. And I truly strongly recommend it. This isn't taken off of statistics and other books. This is uh, developed through life experiences of multiple crisis events and multiple near-death experiences that I have survived. Mm -hmm. So So tell us a little bit about how your faith helped to sustain you when you were going through all of these crazy events that you you've been through in your life how did how did god meet you in those places that's a good question doctor what happened to me in uh october 19th 1994 i just been sentenced i was heading uh to uh, a, a federal prison waiting for the plane to come uh pick us up i had an overnight holding in a, a jail cell up here in the pacific northwest and i just couldn't take the burden any longer and i dropped to my knees and I just cried out to God and said, take this burden. I can't do this any longer. And all of a sudden I remember an inmate coming into my cell and he got down on his knees on one side of me and he started praying. He had a hand on my shoulder. And then as I was crying profusely and breaking inside of my whole body and my soul, another inmate came in on the other side of me, put his hand on me and started praying. And all of a sudden I started praying with them and all of everything released. It was instantaneous. I was no longer in fear. I was no longer feeling guilt. I was no longer experiencing any type of trauma 
uh, feelings that one goes through in the moment that you know you not only have a contract on your life, but you've just lost your wife and kids, and you're on your way to an eight-year prison sentence. It's very, very disturbing. But what happened at the moment of my acceptance of Jesus Christ in that instant, all of those things went away. They became very minor to me. And what became more important was after I accepted the truth and knew that Christ was truthful, I had a desire to learn about him. Hence the entrance into the seminarial programs that I put myself through and um, graduated from and the work in the hospice ministry as a result. And I was being televised. I was multiple newspaper stories during my time in federal prison. And in my last year to Leavenworth, uh, Kansas, I was able to hook up with the hospice Leavenworth on the outside, which I have all kinds of documents from, thank God. And uh, we came into the prison. We started training other inmates the art of caregiving and taking love out instead of anger out when they departed from Leavenworth Federal Prison. Mm -hmm. And I would like to say, for the record, that on the last night I was in Leavenworth, I was taken down to the basement by a close friend of mine. The lights were turned on, and there were literally hundreds of people, even from outside of the prison, that were not prisoners. And they threw this great going-away party for Pastor Bradley because they had a brother going out that was going to be successful and would never re-enter again. And to those of us that have been in the prison system, that is incredibly important. But never in the history of Leavenworth Federal Prison had there ever been a going-away party thrown in catacombs of that prison for any inmate. So I... uh, I I thank God for it. I thank God for the uh, what it did for the other prisoners that were there, that it filled them with joy and confidence and understanding that there is truly a way out of the journey that some of us find ourselves in from an early stage of life. Right, there's hope. But my commi- yeah, my commitment to God is, yeah, it's even beyond hope, sister. It's an absolute connected relationship, and we are in body, mind, and soul as God is God the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And then you have Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. So all three components of us universally are segmented in a a trinity. So you have good, you have evil, and you have yourself. And that, too, in essence, is a trinity. And what we need to do is to be able to walk in absolute faith through the stumbling blocks and the snares and the traps that Satan does deliver in our path of life. Mm-hmm. And at some point, what I would like to say to your audience is once you hit the point of realization, truly realizing the way and the truth and the life of Jesus Christ, you will never, ever again question it, no matter what crisis event may uh, may come into your life. And I'm, I'm a living testament to that. I'm in my 24th year of being an ordained minister. I've been out of prison for 21 years. And uh, I'm, I'm just so very grateful to serve his kingdom and be an example. And another thing for those of you that are looking at going into ministry— in this type of outreach service that I've been doing for 19 years now, I don't walk into a homeless camp and throw a Bible down and start beating them to death with the Word of God. That's a rejection scenario. What we do is, by example, first, introduce Christ through the way that we come to them, care for them, uh, present ourselves to them, and then and ultimately questions start arising, and then you can introduce the gospel of Jesus 
to them in a constructive way because uh, I have tried always and negativity always comes up oh it's just another preacher right. coming down here to judge us and you know pull the Bible out and make us all feel guilty mm-hmm. these are the things that you need to eliminate when you start doing an intensive ministry such as uh, that type of ministry yeah absolutely it's unconditional love that changes people for sure absolutely absolutely doctor it is indeed absolutely. it is Cool. So how would you say that your relationship with God has evolved over time? From the moment of my acceptance, doctor, there was never a question, nor has there ever been a wavering since that moment. Mm-hmm. When the truth is, my life has always been so serious, and everything is about detail to me in my life. That's how I survived being a smuggler for so many years and setting up distribution networks and stuff. I pay attention to things that are real. Mm-hmm. And I get very, very serious about my approach to that, which is real. When I felt the love of God take me and convert me in that moment, October 19th, 1994, I have never looked back. And there has never been any reservation or hesitation. And I have been through multiple crisis events uh, since that time, specifically working in foreign countries in very hostile territory and maneuvering through uh, extremely dangerous and potentially fatalistic uh, scenarios that we would do to accomplish the work that we were doing down there. And and God love the federal agents that work outside of our country as well as up here. But those down there really do put life on the line on a daily basis to keep us safe Mm -hmm. up in this country. And I've I've taken down people with teams where I've literally laid a hand on a guy in shackles down there and prayed with him. And he would sit there and say, thank you, brother, and thank God this life is over. And I know what that feels like when that day comes when you overcome evil and something inside you that is so good and so rich and so pure Mm -hmm. manifests you into a soldier for Christ, not a soldier for, you know, Satan, which is what we were. And for those of you that are listening to this podcast, if you have criminal history and background, if you've committed sins, the road to redemption is acceptance that you finally met your point where you have paid back your sin. For me, it didn't end with prison. When they approached me and talked to me about recruiting me uh, as a contractor for the Department of Justice, I also got my badge and ID and became a state-certified investigator, uh, private investigator in the state I live in mm-hmm. as a result. So I was operational in a more technical viewpoint. Mm-hmm. I've never uh, trusted or really respected anybody that's a snitch or a rat. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way I, the way I came at it was on a professional slant, and the people that we would take down in those takedowns identified with that. They knew that uh, you know this is very serious, very real, and their opportunity, if you will, to be able to transform, remove themselves from that elemental life, and begin walking on a better journey. Mm-hmm. So the price to pay back is answered within your own soul. And my book, Crisis Victory, talks about the very journey of the. Uh, getting rid of the forgiveness that needs to be done because you have to forgive yourself. And as you've done that, you can start glorifying God, his kingdom and doing the work that you should be doing. And that work gives him the glory, not you the glory. And and that is the only way that you can approach such a intensive life change. Mm -hmm. And I've been walking with the Lord 24 years now and I absolutely love, I love everybody on this planet. I truly do. The hitman that came here to kill me and left me dead mm-hmm. June 7th of this year, I, I understand all he had was a piece of paper with a name on it and a contract to fill. 
I've grown up around that. I know what that world is, and I know uh, exactly how those kinds of stages are set. I prayed to the Lord for him and prayed for forgiveness for him, and I do not have any anger of any kind at all for what uh, came my way on that fateful night. So uh, when that happened and you actually did die and came back, why do you think God sent you back? It kind of reminds me of Paul's statement of, you know, I don't know which is better to, to die and depart or to stay here. But, you know, you feel like it's because he's got more work for you, I assume. Well, you know, doctor, people have said that to me. But, you know, I'm a seminario postgrad with a doctorate in pastoral counseling. And I've, uh, I've counseled pastors on their approach to where they're at, standing in their faith, and how they reveal this approach to their congregation members. Mm-hmm. I was also installed with my own church many years ago and had a small country church of about 70, 65 to 70 congregants on a Sunday weekly basis, and it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. But I was jumping on so many uh, cases and flying out of the country so much working with teams that I eventually had to take sabbatical for four years and dissolve my position as an installed pastor. Mm-hmm. So I, I can only say, and I'm going to say this over and over again too, there were two commandments that were given to us. One is to love God the Father first, and the second is to love one another. And when I'm a guest pastor and I go preaching at a church, this is the sermon that I always bring to the table because we cloud and confuse and complicate how we each love one another. I have a love for you, doctor, and I've never met you before, but I'm not just saying those words. I do carry that because we are the embodiment, and this is what's going to turn things around. And if we save so much as one soul today, that's another soul that is serving in the kingdom of God and in this army, and this is how we do it. This is the people that are stressed about the election results or worried about the pandemic or have financial collapse right now and they don't know what they're going to do. You have to take the moment and give it to something of a greater authority or you will find yourself constantly caught up in that squirrel cage syndrome of just spinning around and around and getting nothing done. The first thing you have to do is plant, focus, and then immobilize yourself with the assets that are presented before you that you don't even know because you're in a fight-or-flight syndrome in that moment of dealing with whatever catastrophic event that you find yourself in. You have to remove that so you can be focused on your journey Mm -hmm. to get through it, maneuver it, and come out victorious on the other end. Mm -hmm. Again, uh, Crisis Victory, that book uh, details how to do all of that. It's a fascinating study and a fascinating read, and I recommend it to everybody. I really do. So um, where, if people want to get a copy of that book, where would they go? Yeah, good question. Uh, CrisisVictory.com. Just go online to CrisisVictory.com, and uh, that'll take you right to the site. It also gives you testimonies of several people that I've worked with in the homeless camps, people that knew me back in the years when I was an outlaw and have known me now for the decades since that time in my life and can bear witness to the changing that Christ has truly done here. And I I mean, it's just so beautiful to wake up every day of your life, no matter what crisis you're dealing with, everybody, and you wake up with joy in your heart. And I truly, truly do. And we all have crisis events that come up to us, every single one of us. It's how we approach it, which manifests the destiny of the days that we have to come ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So is there anything I have not asked you that you want to make sure that you leave with our audience? No, you've done real good, doctor. But what I'd like to say to your audience is to please, if you take anything with you at all today, take the commandments that we were given to love God the Father first 
Now you have something that you can turn to in your moments of stress, your moment of crisis, whatever it is in life that uh, can, and even in your moments of beautiful and wonderful things to share it and to share it with God. And the other thing is, please, everyone out there, try to learn to love and care for one another. Once you enter that state of thinking, you will find that you start expanding other options in your life because you're with other likable personalities that are working to the same directive that you are. And if you are in any crisis at all, please go to crisisvictory.com and grab this book. It's, it's well worth uh, having in your home. It's well worth it. Okay, so I will link in the show notes to the URL for that, crisisvictory.com. Great. Thank you, doctor. Yeah, and thank you, Dr. Bradley, so much for being on our podcast today and for sharing your amazing testimony. That's such a powerful story. Thank you, doctor, and may we give the glory to God. And you, uh, God bless you for your ministry and your service too, doctor. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thank you, you as well. Thanks for listening to Christian Natural Health. This show is run by you, so please write in with topic and guest suggestions for future shows. For more great content, subscribe to Dr. Lauren's blog at www.drlaurendeville.com or follow her on Facebook or Twitter at Dr. Lauren Deville. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to share it with your friends and give us a five-star rating in iTunes. It really helps us to stand out so other people can discover great content as well. Have a great week and God bless you. Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.